Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. In this episode, I was joined once again by exceptional coach Joey Cassio to discuss what in Spanish parlance is called cambios de ritmo. In English, that translates to changes of rhythm. And interestingly, that's something you don't hear much of, if ever, in American soccer. Not even in English football. You can watch the Premier League all you want, and you rarely hear of this concept, if ever. Which is quite remarkable, as this is a critical and fundamental technique, strategy, tactic in this sport. And if one doesn't speak about it or hear about it, in all likelihood, one is totally oblivious to it. In fact, it's worse than that. When the word rhythm is used in American soccer, it's always used as a virtue. Rhythm, as in its strict definition, reads, quote, a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement, end quote. So what you'll hear in soccer circles are things like, the player has found his rhythm, the team has found its rhythm, or they need to find their rhythm, so on and so forth. That everyone understands, including your opponent. That's the superficial first order stuff. What's not regularly understood and what breaks equilibrium, which is what's critical at the highest levels, is changes of rhythm. Cambios de ritmo. Okay, I hope you enjoy, but first a couple mentions of the products that help coaches coach better and parents guide their kids better. And if you're neither a coach or a parent of a player, you can still help support this podcast by leaving us a five-star rating and a written review. Or just spread the word as best you can, and as often as you can. Here we go. And now, a quick few second mentions on what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support the podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you've got to check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. The premium program in particular gives you full access to watch and listen to players, teams, and coaches in the real-life training environment. Now, what I mean by that is that the film and audio are not staged or scripted, such as what you would get at a conference or a typical course or video online. No, no, no. You get to be a legit fly-on-the-wall and steady Brian, who basically helped pioneer a seismic shift in American soccer on how to develop youth players at every level. Among the many now professional players who were under his direct tutelage across many teams, one team in particular, which he started at U10 and led through U19, really stands out. Over a handful of players on that team became professionals. It's incredible work. And the actual training of that team and those players is what you get to use to catapult your coaching. Okay, second, let's say you're not a coach but you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path. The solution for you guys is at 343masterclass.com. And third, if you'd consider going to a private school for academics, either here in the States or in Europe, that also has an integrated soccer program, you should check out acceleratorschool.com. Critically important, the solutions for coaches, for parents, and for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. 
What's up? What's up? Joey Cassio is on the I can, line. I can hear you, man. Loud and clear. You can hear me? Yeah. Give your spiel on cambios de ritmo. Yeah. It's something that we've discussed many times okay. and it's now become an important topic and concept for me as a coach of young players. And it's something I think about now all the time. And I have to be honest, you know, when I was younger and transitioning from playing to coaching, I knew nothing about this. You know, I couldn't identify it. I wasn't aware of it, but being around you guys, you and Brian and just learning about what it was, I've come to understand the importance that it plays in football in general and the importance of teaching young players. So this is a topic that is not discussed at all in American soccer. And it's too bad because like I said, it's become, for me, it's become such a big part of the game, watching the game, teaching the game, playing the game. It's a staple of football. And um, basically it's the idea, the execution of changing rhythms in the game. And it can happen in multiple ways. You know, uh, an individual player dribbling the ball can change rhythms, change speeds. A team collectively, the way that they're passing the ball around the field, they can be sort of passing at a steady, steady speed, waiting for the opportunity to kill the opponent with a killer pass. And when that opportunity is there, they then speed up. They're looking, you know, to play a faster pass or looking for a combination between teammates to beat the, the defensive lines of the opponents. So there's different ways that it can be used, but it is massively important to the game of football. Brilliant. So changing of rhythm. I wrote down a couple notes. There are a number of ways to create danger to the opponent. This is one of those ways. And like you said, it's never, ever, ever discussed in American soccer circles, neither in the coaching, neither in the coaching education, and neither in the media, and as a consequence of all of those three, never in the fan base, okay? Unless if you are from a different heritage, from a different culture that does understand this sort of stuff, i.e. Argentina, for instance, in this case, in my case. So like breaking lines, Joey, it seems like the past five or six years that finally came into the language of American soccer. I'm being serious. Like before six years ago or so, seven years ago, something like that, Nobody would talk about breaking lines. Nobody even knew what the fuck breaking lines meant. Now everybody says, oh, breaking lines, breaking lines. Need get the center back who can break lines, you know, or maybe get the D mid who can break lines. Nobody would ever fucking talk or say that phrase breaking lines. They just now learned it, Joe. But why is it important? Why is breaking lines important? Because it breaks equilibrium or helps break equilibrium, meaning breaking the stalemate or the balance of the opponents, because when you break lines, it's in the word itself, you're kind of breaking them in a certain sense. And same thing with like 1v1. We just talked about Mbappe or Messi. That 1v1 ability in the final third is invaluable because you break the opponent's equilibrium. You break their stability. And all of a sudden, when you break the stability, the opponent's defense has to readjust and that further breaks them down because maybe the weak side is completely left wide open and that's how goals happen, right? So there's various things or the 40 yard diagonal ball to the weak side breaks equilibrium because now you have maybe the right winger who just received that 40 yard diagonal 1v1 with his opponent or maybe 2v1 because your number's up. You have your right winger and maybe your right back is already overlapping because he saw the 40 yard diagonal coming. So 
All of these things break equilibrium, break stability of your opponent. That's what cambio de ritmo does, changing of rhythm. So for instance, and Argentina always does this, and so do all the uh, many high quality international teams do it. I think without showing a visual and in podcast format, one way we can potentially communicate what it looks like is through a discussion of speed of play, Joe, and jump in at any time. Okay. For me, speed of play means, well, not necessarily, I'll say, I'll give a description of speed of play. Speed of play perhaps can be understood as like number of passes per unit time. Okay. Or number of actions per unit time. I'll just stick with one. I'll stick with number of passes per unit time. So if you make five passes in five seconds, you can kind of unearth, let's keep it simple. Three passes in three seconds. It's kind of like thousand one, thousand two, thousand three. You see what that sort of speed of play is. So for instance, if you're passing the ball from the left back to the center back to the right back, for instance, maybe it takes, I don't know, three seconds or so. Okay. So you got two passes there, right, left back to center back, center back to right back in three seconds. So it's two passes every three seconds. And we've all seen that sequence happen. Okay. So you see how long it takes, how fast it is. Now, fast forward to peak, maybe Barcelona during Pep's era, when Messi, Dani Alves and Iniesta were all combining in a tiny little area of the pitch, four passes or five passes may have happened in two or three seconds. Like in two seconds, you, you may have gotten four passes. You see, so it's pa, 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 pa versus That speed of play, yes? So cambio de ritmo, what you're describing, Joe, is I think that's a good way of visualizing it, is your whole team and their passes and actions are going pa, pa, pa. But then a team who knows cambio de ritmo goes from that to pa, 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 right? And then you're in. I don't know if that's a good description from an audio perspective. I, I was thinking about it all day today is how to describe this without showing visuals. Yeah, I know. Like, I think that's a good way to describe it, Gary. Like lightning fast combinations. Yeah, being able to go from maybe the first speed to then speeding up to break the opponent. The two examples that you gave, being able to go from one speed to that other speed to break the opponent. Yeah, and it breaks the opponent not because of the faster speed. It breaks the opponent because when you're going at the slow speed in first gear, it's like your opponent is also in first gear. And then when you switch to fifth gear instantaneously, the opponent is still in first gear and they can't react fast enough. And that is what breaks the equilibrium. Yeah, hundred percent. It's interesting. I think we see the best teams in the world are very good at what you just described. The best players in the world, the Neymars, the Messis, the, the Mbappes can do it themselves. They have the ball at their feet. They slow down. They like square the defender up. They do exactly like you just said. The defender starts to slow down themselves. And then those guys speed up on the dribble and they're gone. The defender cannot react in time to get into a position to stop them from dribbling past them. When I evaluate who are the best players in the world, a lot of it has to do with that, that they're just so good at changing their rhythm that nobody can stop them. Yeah. And so there's various cambios de ritmo. There's the speed of play cambio de ritmo that I described. And then there's the 1v1 cambio de ritmo that you just described. And then the, maybe there's the 1-2 sort of cambio de ritmo where 
Here they talk about in AYSO terms, give and go, or later they graduate and say a wall pass. Yes, but they haven't graduated with all due respect to seeing it for something greater than that even, which is this change of rhythm where you kind of like lulled the opponent a bit, a, that you slowed them a step down, and then you give that combination, that one-two combination with somebody and you're out and the opponent can't even react. So there's all these variations for sure. And it's devastating and it's deadly. And Joey, everybody might understand this in theory, which is great, great first step. But in practice, it's not as simple as saying, oh, I understand in theory, I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. No, everybody has to be on the same page and all, everybody has to understand it and have a culture of it and have understood it since uh, for years and years and years as a player to be able to coordinate with each other and kind of read each other's minds that this is what's coming. So Messi's famous slaloms from the outside to the inside as he's slaloming from the outside to the inside top of the box, basically, where he takes a guy on and he gives a pass on the ground to maybe his nine or the offensive mid. And all they do is just give it back to him while he's still running full throttle. And maybe yeah. when they give it back to him, maybe he t just gives another one touch pass to whoever else is there. And he keeps running full throttle and they just say, okay, here you go. I'm just wall passing it right back to you. That takes an understanding way beyond theory. It has to be People don't like when I say this. It has to be kind of in the blood. Like you had to have grown up with this. Yeah. Sort of well, I don't think you can throw in a Josh Sargent, you know, and he's going to understand and be able to do this. Even though well, he's seen it a million times and you've explained it to him now. No, it's not happening. It's different. One of the things, Gary, that I picked up on like from Messi or like Danny Alves or some of these South American players is when they're playing the combination, when they go to play the pass, like their body language is like, oh, okay, I'm just going to play a pass now and I'm going to chill. So again, they're getting the defender to think like, oh, okay, he's done. He's just going to play a pass, lay the ball to somebody else, and I don't have to worry about him anymore. So they sort of slow their body down to make it look like, hey, all right, I'm playing a pass. I'm just going to chill. And their body says that. But as soon as he plays the pass, there's that change of speed again, and he's gone. It's difficult to explain, but that change in body language, I think, is that cultural piece that a lot of people here in the States, if you grow up in American soccer, you don't understand that. I think maybe that's a way to sort of explain it to people. But yeah, like Neymar, same thing. They're very good at just fooling the opponent with just their body language. Like, yeah, all right, I'm just going to chill. And then, pa, they're gone. Yeah. No, it's a sales pitch is what they're doing, dude. It's the game within the game. And yeah. that's what makes it hard to identify sometimes. 100%. Brilliant, Joe. Fucking God damn it. We're graduating people, dude. Every day. I Working hope so, man. Working <laughs> to graduate people. And it's I happening. Hope so. It is happening. It's funny. I saw a little clip today. I don't remember if it was on Twitter or elsewhere where they were asking Hercules Gomez, who does a lot of Mexican media appearances. They were asking him, hey, like, what's wrong with Mexico or what's going on with Mexico? And I'm paraphrasing. So forgive me, Herc. And he's like, oh, well, one big thing is Mexico doesn't export players to Europe. And here in the States, we are doing that. And he started talking about the pathways and the examples, the most recent examples of American players going to Europe and how that doesn't happen in Mexico. 
but hurt doesn't go to the root of why it started happening here in the States. And it takes some renegades and it takes some pioneers to fucking rattle the cages and shake the fucking trees and the bushes here and force people to do certain actions. And that, Herc, is what's missing in Mexican soccer. You have everybody there. It's no secret. There's a lot of corruption and everybody's on the same page and nobody falls out of line. But you need somebody to fall out of line in Mexican soccer and rattle the cages because there's no reason why somebody can't grab a top caliber prospect or player in Mexico and ship them to Europe. There's no reason that can't happen. Yes, the clubs might interfere. Yes, all these sorts of things, but it's doable, but they don't do it. I don't know why I went off on, on that rant. Maybe it's just because it's on top of mind. We're just trying to teach Joe, whatever it is that we think we know. Yeah. Yeah. We're just sharing, I guess, how we view things or things that, that were like in my case, like I said, this is something that I, I've learned myself just recently, you know, I wasn't aware of this when I was younger playing or even when I first started coaching, it's something that I've learned, but I've taken a pretty big interest in it. And now when I watch games, I am keenly looking for this type of thing. And it's a big part of my process as I watch a game or I evaluate teams or whatever it is, I'm, I'm looking for that specifically. So yeah. it definitely is something that people can learn and it's important. I think it's important as a whole here in this country that we pick up on things like this. Joey, this is something obviously that I'm, I'm developing also for the masterclass for parents to be able to be aware of it, visualize it, absorb it, digest it, internalize it, and then be able to transmit to their kids. But you as a coach, any idea, any recommendations on how you can help your players out as a coach to see this? Because for myself or Brian in particular, from our angle, it was more of a cultural sort of thing. I don't know if they're, I mean, actually, I'm not going to suggest anything. I'm asking you the question. What can you do as a coach? I think number one, I will try to identify players who maybe look like they have some of this already in their game, whether, you know, they've grown up like in a culture where they express this sort of thing. Or the other route that I'll take is I myself watch games. I will find examples of this and then I will share it with the players. And then obviously we're, I'm trying to um, give this material to them in the training session. So between teaching it in the training sessions and then providing examples in global football that they can refer to and between those two things start to develop an understanding of what it is, I think progress can be made when you're doing those two things. Got it. You bring up something in me that we've been talking about internally here with Brian for many, 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 many years, the recruiting aspect and the player identification aspect and why we like certain players and maybe not so much others is this is one of those components that we're looking for. And so when you're scouting and saying, this player's good, this player's okay, this player, nah, we're not that interested, this player is phenomenal, how they fall into this bucket depends on so many of these things that maybe are not objective or not tangible or not caught in statistics at all. So maybe a player has scored a gajillion goals and all these assists and it looks great and everybody's hyping them up and stuff, 
And I'm looking, I'm not going to speak for Brian. And I'm looking at the player and I'm like, this guy just plays at one speed the whole time. He has no idea, no concept of cambio de ritmo because that's our topic for the day. There's other topics, but zero concept of this. Like, no, this is a no for me. I don't want this player because he may have been scoring a gajillion goals, but that is not going to fit into what it is that we want to do as a team, as a club, whatever the heck it happens to be. And especially if it's at a higher level, this shit that you scoring a gajillion goals ain't going to work anymore because you're missing this, 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 and that doesn't show up in the box score or in the stats. Kind of going off of that, Gary, a lot of youth games here in this country, they're all played at one speed all the time, man. And it's sort of difficult to, or it's rare to find a player who is good at changing speeds because everything going on around him in these games is going one speed all the time. And it's usually a hundred miles an hour. So it's rare. It's rare to see a player who has the balls or the confidence to just slow things down or play in that manner because it's against the grain. Yeah. And he doesn't have teammates who understand it. Yeah. So how can he do it too in combination with other teammates? And that's what makes sometimes player ID a challenge in the U.S. because you might have a player who does get this and understands it. So the only time that they can execute it and you can see it well, that's not true, but you can clearly see it when it's 1v1 cambio de ritmo, like you described Neymar. He slows it down, lulls the, the defender to sleep, and then boom, accelerates and, and he's gone. You could also see it when he's trying to do the combination play, the, the lightning fast combos, and he executes his part of it, but his teammates are not on the same page because they don't get it, and so it doesn't come off. But you can still see it, Joe. You can see, ah, look, Oscar just did that. Like, it's clear as day to those of us who are looking for those sorts of things. The one speed thing does hold those players back because then they don't develop that facet of their game. They're trying to do it because they've seen it since they were kids and their parents have probably told them about it. And then they're stuck surrounded by 10 players who don't get it and a coach that doesn't get it. And then it's kind of game over for their development in that aspect. Joe, throughout our history here in the States, and I've gone for 20 years to youth national team camps and watch youth national teams and the senior men's national team, it has always been one speed. And in fact, it has always been, what's the word I'm looking for? It has always almost been like emphasized from the coaching staff to be fast. Fast, 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 fast. So they have reinforced the whole idea of one speed. And the one speed is always fast. They've never, maybe with Hugo Perez a little bit, maybe, okay? But aside from that, and maybe Tab Ramos, maybe. But aside from that, it's always been one speed and you don't see this cambio de ritmo sort of stuff. Everybody seems to be scared or they think that slowing the game down is a bad thing. Almost like with youth soccer parents, Joe, when you're trying to teach them building out of the back and they panic and they're scared and they think that it's the wrong thing to do for the back line to be just holding the ball, yes? It's almost akin to that. Where at the higher levels in our country, they feel like it's not the right thing to do to slow the game down, which is very strange. Have you not seen football? Like you guys actually played professional soccer and you guys have actually played maybe even on the national team. 
And here you are on coaching staffs for MLS and coaching staffs for the national team, and you don't do cambios de ritmo, or, or you're, you actually are advocating for one speed, high gear at all times. Very strange. Yeah, it's definitely a part of the American soccer culture here to just play fast, fast, fast all the time, one speed. And it's difficult to break that, you know, because a lot of players have this habit built into them to play that one speed all the time. And to change that, it, it's difficult. It's not easy. Well, it goes it into time. player profiles too, because then they select players that are in that mold of the one speed mold. They don't select players who they see slow the game down. But maybe they don't even recognize that these players slow the game down for a purpose, you see? Yeah. So it, it impacts player selection. 100%. Like you said, Gary, the player profile that has this ingrained into them are held back. And we don't see them consistently rise through the national player pool here in America. It's more of the, the player profile that it's just always fast and the good physical profile that the ball is lost, they can go back and try to win a duel or they're able to cover ground, that kind of thing. And we don't see the player profile of the ones that are constantly looking to change the speed of games. It's all connected. That sort of it's all connected, Joe. It's all yeah, connected. And then that, that, that leads to possession-based, good possession-based football and being able to break lines is having that sort of player profile. Yeah, it, and it's all connected, Joe, because... You have technical staffs, you have bureaucrats who view the game the way that we just described, and they select a certain player profile. So that player profile gets elevated, and that then is who the media believe are the cream of the crop. Because now, oh, whoa, fuck, if, if he, they're being selected for the senior men's national team, well, they must be the best, yes? And so that then percolates down to the fan base, and the fan base just sees that player profile and naturally assume, well, these are the best players on our team. And they get accustomed to that player profile. So if or when a player that is in a different mold that slows the game down intentionally because they see how Brazil plays, they see how Ecuador plays, how Argentina plays, how France plays, how Portugal plays, how Croatia plays, and they do that, they slow it down. Our entire structure, mainstream structure, freaks out. The coaches freak out. The media consequently freaks out. What the fuck? Why is this guy like slowing the game down? Why didn't he just go immediately to fucking where? Let him fucking run. You know, why, why do you just step on the ball and slow down and let the other team recover? That would be the rationale. And everybody will fall in line. The fans will also say like, yeah, what the fuck? Like this guy just slows the game down. They don't, they don't see it, Joe. Yeah. No, look at like uh, Enzo Fernandez. Oh, he's, genius, bro. He's not a physical specimen whatsoever. He's not fast. He's not a, an enforcer of any type. Like he is just very good at exactly what we're talking about. And these types of players do not get picked here in America. Enzo slows the game down so many times. I encourage people, if they can catch replays of the game, just spotlight Enzo and count the number of times that the sole of his foot is on the ball. So he's stepping on the ball, which is basically stopping all play. The guy stops play constantly. And sometimes, even me, I'm like, oh shit, I think it's on over there with Messi or Di Maria. 
and now nah, he steps on it. I'm going the other way or steps on it and goes back to the center back or now nah, steps on it and does a little five yard pass to the ball and the ball just gives him another five yard pass, one touch pass back to him. And everybody's probably like, what the fuck? What was the point of that? You know? Yeah, there is, a, there's a fucking point to it. Okay. Joe, that guy, I don't know, maybe I have a man crush or something. <laughs> that guy, <laughs> that guy's incredible, Joey. The guy is, is incredible. Man. The guy is incredible. And he's a 2000 born. Okay. You know, what's amazing is he went from river to Benfica, landed in Benfica. And I was thinking to myself, because I knew, right. I was thinking to myself, okay, let's see how long it takes this guy to acclimatize, get integrated, battle it out, fucking get his way, get his minutes, eventually become a starter. Cause Benfica is no joke, Joe. It's like top of the food chain stuff. People don't understand how high the level of Porto Benfica sporting are. Okay. Or maybe they do, but whatever. No lands starter, 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 starter. He is immovable in Benfica. That is the man. And I was scratching my head. I'm like, seriously? Like he's a 2000. He just landed at what, this fucking mean ass club. And he just immediately, he's the starter. So, and obviously Mendes played against them, right? And I get feedback from Mendes and stuff. And, but now seeing him on, on the national team, on the global stage, international, playing against cracks. And he just comes in and it seems like he's a 30-year-old super veteran. Like it doesn't, not, it didn't phase him at all. Zero. Give me the fucking rock. I'll run this show here. And oh, Messi. Yeah, I see you. Nah, I'm stepping on the ball. I'm going this way, bro. Impressive. He wasn't a starter, right, in the World Cup to begin with, but then he got his chance, and then that was that was it. He wasn't moved from the starting lineup again, man. That's that's crazy. That is not easy to do at his age. It's very it's impressive. Not, yeah, it's a, and it's another lesson for a lot a lot of young players is be ready, be ready, so that when you get your chance, your head is straight and everything is straight, so that you can actually perform. And if you perform, that's it. You won the job. Basically, and it happens all the time in club football and international football. You're the bencher and you're given an opportunity. And if you seize the opportunity, you get another one. And if you seize that one, all of a sudden you're consolidated. You're my guy now because you win me points. And the other guy who was there for 38,000 games, the starter before you, no, you're going to have to wait now because somebody jacked you. That's another important lesson, man. I think we've discussed that before on another podcast, but that's super important for players and people in general to learn here. Joey, what else, man? Cambio de Ritmo is such an awesome topic, Oof. man. It's a fucking awesome time. Because as a player, yes, I never played pro, but at whatever level I would play at, if I was surrounded by my Latino friends and buddies who also understood, it is fun to actually do it. It's so much fun to like get the ball and like pop, pop, pop. Or if my teammate gets the ball and we're kind of like making body language contact or eye contact and we understand each other and he's expecting me to do a quick one-two with him, right? And he gives it to me, pop, and he explodes and I give it back to him and, he, and we roast the opponent. It's so much fun to do that. <laughs> I, I wish more people would experience it. It is fun, man. I don't know what it is about it, but I, I remember like playing at towards the end of my career. Like you, you basically, without saying it, you're basically like, Hey, let's go come and get it. You slow mm -hmm. down and you basically like tease them like, Hey, come and get it. 
and then they come, but then you speed up and you get past them. Yeah, it man, is I, a tease. It's a yeah. tease. It is 100% a tease on a collective front and individual front. When Neymar does it, when, Messi, when everybody does it, it's you are making fun of the opponent. It is a, you're grandstanding almost when you do this. Yeah. And you're right though. When you do it, it is fun. There's a feeling of enjoyment when you are executing that. It's hard to explain, man, or, or yeah, to put into words. It's hard. It's almost like there's a puzzle in front of you and somehow you just, you solve the puzzle or no, that doesn't quite do it. It's kind of like there's a complete puzzle in front of you. Somebody has completed a puzzle. They put all the puzzle pieces together, right? And then you came around and you're like, fuck this puzzle. And you just destroyed it in front of their face. That's what it feels like. Like they were all organized. They're good. They thought they had it all figured out. The puzzle is complete for them. And you came around and you're like, fuck this puzzle. And you threw it on the ground. You destroy the whole thing. That's the enjoyment. Yeah. hundred percent, man. This topic right here, when this becomes more ingrained in American soccer culture, I think that will mean that we've graduated a level, man. Yeah, I agree. I think we're fucked though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, man. Cause you, you got generations of player and heritage and bloodline and there's something to that, Joey. There's yeah, something that, to that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. So Josh Wolf has a kid and Landon has a kid and all these guys have a kids. Okay. And they teach them or whatever, but like, no, it's like Landon's kid is going to have to have a kid who has a kid. And then that guy finally, so we're talking 50 years from now for them to like really get this. And that sounds preposterous. That sounds ridiculous. And Nobody wants to hear that, it, but it came out. That's what came out of my mouth, Joe. Or, or Gary, mm. the players who already have it ingrained in them here in the States are being selected. Yeah, that's, well, that's what I've been fighting for forever. That's what I'm trying to work on. That accelerates us so much more. We don't have to wait for generations of players. We already have the players here. Give them a chance, elevate those guys. But and that too, that too yeah, can take so, another four generations. Yeah, well, sometimes it just feels like I'm climbing Mount Everest, dude. It's yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, yeah. I, I, maybe I'm just stupid, but I keep going, Joe. That's why we're <laughs> recording this. No, I think, I think we're onto something here, man. But yeah, who knows how long it'll take. Hopefully right. sooner rather than later. Hopefully in our lifetime. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches. You can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, there's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.